We are live. Welcome to the very first episode of P2P, a fantasy football podcast. I am your host, Cam. Had to let that beat drop one time for him. Buck, I'm your host, Cam, a.k.a. Podcast Puffy. Follow me on Twitter at Cam's Not Sober. And I'm not alone. I am joined by Dynasty Buck in the flesh. Andy Buckler, a.k.a. Built Different Buck. Follow him on Twitter at Andy underscore Buckler. Andy, what's good? Yes, sir. <laughs> First episode. It's about to be a movie. What are we talking about today, Cam? And that beat is hard. Bro, I love the intro beat. Right, shout out to V's. Um, we're talking about a lot, man. And we're going to try to get through this episode as quickly as possible because we do have a lot to cover. First and foremost, let's start off with an icebreaker, bro. So for everyone listening to this, I have to share with you guys. Right before we started recording this episode, there was a dog barking in the background. It was really pissing me the fuck off. And I was like, Jesus Christ, I hope somebody tells that dog to shut the fuck up. And then we got about two minutes into the pod and I was like, wait, did I ever let Bastion? It, it was it was my fucking dog outside. I, I, I'm the <laughs> idiot who left his dog outside and, and thought it was my neighbor's dog. So I thought that was pretty funny. But Buck, back to business. I can't believe we're finally here, man. We've been talking about recording this podcast for quite some time. And now uh, is the time that we can start queuing up these episodes. And I'm really excited for what we're talking about today. We're going to get into some rookie rankings at the QB position. But first and foremost, let's start off with a fun question. Would you rather spend a day at Top Golf with Dan Campbell, head coach of the Detroit Lions, or Jim Harbaugh? I got to go with my guy, Dan Campbell, man. He got Lions at practice. Like, he might actually be lit. I know Harbaugh lame as hell. So I'm just going to I'm gonna take my chance with Dan Campbell and see what he's about. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm just going to kill myself instead. I don't. I don't want to go with either. <laughs> I don't want to go with either of those guys. Uh, but no, no, no. Jokes aside, I would probably pick Dan Campbell as well. Uh, King Khaki, I'd probably have to decline his invitation to 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 Top Golf. I don't think he's a very interesting personality. Dan Campbell, I agree. He's kind of wild, dude. He's kind of uh, his personality is really quirky. So he may have some fun. Um, he may be a good time. So without further ado, let's jump straight into some news. <laughs> We really got to get a better news drop, bro. I'm, I'm really not feeling this. Anyway, Buck, what are your biggest takeaways from rookie minicamp so far? I think the biggest takeaway for me is Travis Etienne. Uh, obviously, is a running back, but Urban Meyer doesn't believe so. He's working him out as wide receiver. All of rookie minicamp, he only played wide out. And this is something that was, as soon as he was drafted, as soon as Travis Etienne was selected, we heard the wide receiver stuff. Kind of took it as you know, coach speak and smoke, but I think it's real. We need to start really paying attention to that. And it could, it's going to uh, benefit other players will hurt other players, such as LaVisca Chenault, maybe DJ Chark, just other weapons on their roster. What do you think about that? Are you feeling, are you getting a little lower on Chark or how do you feel? No, I'm still a big believer in DJ Chark and his bounce back this season. I think he's one of the safer um, positional players on that team going into the 2021 season, even with, all of the noise about Travis Etienne being deployed in, you know, some capacity, at least as a gadget player. Uh, I worry the most about LaVisca Chanel. I think you alluded to that uh, at the beginning of your take. 
it's difficult for me to really project out what I think is going to happen in terms of deployment for Chanel and ETN, but it is getting kind of scary. Uh, you mentioned they talked about this briefly post-draft, and now they kind of put their money where their mouth was and, and had them working out exclusively as a wide receiver. But I don't know, man. I mean, you spend a, a top 25 draft pick on a running back to deploy him as a gadget player. I don't, I don't really know if this is coach speak or how much of this is coach speak, but it is a little confusing. It makes me really wonder about the aptitude of um, Urban Meyer as a, as a head coach. I, I think that's my biggest takeaway from that situation in particular. Yeah, I think uh, Urban Meyer is definitely asked, and it does make me – I'm worried about the offense a little bit just in that capacity. But LaVisca Chenault, like you said, I'm starting to get super worried about him because that's the role we wanted him to be in was in that slot. And I'm not ready to panic sell him in Dynasty or anything like that. But as far as someone – he was someone I was buying early in the offseason. I'm kind of backed up off of that. And I just kind of – I think I just want to see what happens during the season. I don't think you should try to overpay to get him because – I'm pretty worried about him. Yeah, I, I think I think that's the right approach to take. I mean, I guess cautiously optimistic. I assume they'll still deploy him as, you know, a big slot in that offense. It's really hard to kind of project what that offense is going to look like as a whole. But I agree it's it's a little um yeah, it's it's a little confusing. Um just the the current path that Travis Etienne has taken from uh, prospect to NFL player and trying to project how he's going to be deployed next year. I, I think I'm pretty comfortable with him as an asset just because, I mean, you know, a reception is worth more than a carry. And, you know, if they want to deploy him all around the field and throw him passes, then whatever, I guess. Does that change um, how you evaluate Travis Etienne as a prospect or does it change, you know, where you're drafting him in rookie drafts? No, actually, it might make me like him a little more because, uh, you know, Travis Etienne isn't a guy that had a big bulk of the carries in college. Uh, he only had, I think, 14 carries was the most carries he had in a game at Clemson. So I expect him to be more used, uh, not comparing him to Kamara, but within a Kamara role, maybe 10 to 15 carries and then five to eight catches. And I like running backs to catch the ball. So if he's going to be catching the ball five to eight times a game, I'm going to be in on him, especially because most of my leagues are full PPR. So it doesn't change much about him as an asset, but maybe it just makes James Robinson like a little less dead than he was we thought a week ago or a couple weeks ago. But that's probably it. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Does this change how you evaluate James Robinson for the 2021 season and beyond? I still view him basically as a high-end handcuff because even if he does have a role, which he might have a role, but I envision it as like a um, – a Latavis Murray role where it's he's getting 10 carries, maybe even 15 carries, but they're just empty carries. He's not getting any of the high value touches. He won't catch the ball. He probably won't get goal line work. So he'd give you 10 rushes for 55 yards and for without a touchdown, that's five points in fantasy. It's not something you're really using. So that's kind of how I view James Robinson. I, if this opens up a cell window for Robinson though, I'm, I would take advantage. I would take a 22 second for Robinson right now if I had him. I think so too. I think we could we could talk about this all day, really. But I, I go back to last year when you know people struck gold on James Robinson, and you know they were ranking him ahead of guys like Clyde Edwards-Helaire in Dynasty. And you know this happens in the draft where uh, you know the the Jaguars obviously take Travis Etienne in the first round, and you know James Robinson truthers refused to let go, even though the correct process play was probably to sell James Robinson last year for a future first round pick. They just can't seem to own the L 
on uh, uh, the James Robinson uh, process. So it's going to be interesting to see how this backfield plays out. I'm I'm pretty nervous about this offense as a whole, and we can talk about that when we get into the QB rankings. I know we've spent probably five minutes on this already, but um, we can talk about that offense and, and how we think it's going to look next year based on the combination of Urban Meyer and Daryl Bevel. But let's get into the rest of these news items. Tim Tebow signed his contract. What do you think about this entire Tim Tebow fiasco? Actually, I'll go first. So did you see that Tim Tebow has the number one selling jersey in the NFL at the moment? I did see that. He also had like five of the top five selling items were all Tebow items. Man, this is ass. Tebow <laughs> is ass. Uh, I mean... He just signed a no guaranteed contract, <laughs> and he has the highest selling jersey in the fucking NFL. I mean, halfway. What the fuck are we doing? Why is this a thing? He, he's not making the team, right? There's no he's shot. A he's a legend making the in team, Florida. Right? He's a legend in Jacksonville. They love him over there. This is just a whole. This is a marketing thing from Jacksonville from day one. I agree. He might. He honestly might make the team at this point because I'm not putting anything past Urban Meyer. I think he honestly just might make the team. He'll catch. One pass for five yards all season. Bro, just imagine what Twitter is going to look like if Tim Tebow actually catches a fucking pass in the regular season <laughs> in 2021. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, let's let's move on. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Tim fucking Tebow. Uh, Coach Anthony Lynn, uh, offensive coordinator Anthony Lynn, my apologies, of the Detroit Lions, considers Jamal Williams a classic A-back. What did you take away from this comment from Anthony Lynn. It honestly made me pretty nervous because uh, he said that classic a back to him is a guy that could handle everything, all three downs and could uh, run through the tackles. And he said that he really likes Jamal Williams uh, between the tackles and Jamal Williams always felt like a player to me that coaches like more than we do. They just seem, he just kind of does everything right that the coaches like, even though he's not a great fantasy player, he hasn't been a super great player in real life, but it worries me for DeAndre Swift because he mentioned Swift as a in-space guy, like maybe just play third downs and get a couple carries. And they did pay Jamal Williams. So, and, and we've seen with the Chargers, Anthony Lynn likes to use the two backs. Like he likes to use that A and B system where he has one back getting 15 to 20 carries. And then you have DeAndre Swift essentially playing like the Austin Eckler role with Jamal Williams in the Melvin Gordon role. And I think that's a possibility to happen. And it's going to be on a bad team with the Lions. So I think DeAndre Swift is a really talented back. Like I think he's one of the best running backs in football. I truly believe in his talent. But I'm starting to get more and more nervous, especially on a bad offense. And then even though this is coach speak, it's just Anthony Lynn has done things in the past like this that we should take we should start getting a little nervous about this, or at least believe it a little bit. I agree. I agree with that 100%. I mean, we just saw it last year. He gave, you know, Joshua Kelly uh, the brunt of the early down and the goal line carries when he was the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. He, he very much likes to utilize that A and B back system. And I think he's going to bring it to Detroit. It's just a matter of to what extent. I mean, he gave Joshua Kelly 23 carries in week two. I mean, Joshua Kelly actually had to fumble a few times and be super, super, super inefficient for Anthony Lynn to finally take the ball out of his hands. And I think Jamal Williams is, you know, a replacement level back that does everything okay. And when you can do everything okay in all phases, that generally earns you playing time. So I think we're going to see a lot more Jamal Williams than we would like. So 
with that in mind, does it change the way you evaluate DeAndre Swift from a drafting perspective? Are you moving him up or down in your rankings based on this information? Or are you just holding put until we get closer to the season and we get more information from the staff and how they plan on deploying these players? Yeah, not yet. I haven't moved DeAndre Swift down yet, but he likely will move down. If this keep if uh if it keeps coming up and we keep and we see it in camp and we start seeing videos, then I'm probably I'm not gonna say I'll be out on DeAndre Swift, but he'll definitely fall for me. In a dynasty perspective, I still feel good. Like I, again, I wouldn't panic sell him or anything, but as far as like if we're talking redraft, he's a guy that I would probably pass on for someone else, like maybe like an Aaron Jones in that range. But yeah, I'm definitely nervous because I'm also just super scared of that offense. So if it's going to be a committee, I likely don't want in. Yeah, I think it's going to be a committee for sure. I, I never expected DeAndre Swift to be a 75 plus snap uh, RB in, in any offense, really. I think um, most of his value for me came in the passing game um, in terms of what I was projecting. So I kind of want to use this as an opportunity to buy DeAndre Swift if, if anybody's scared off from the Jamal Williams uh, comments by Anthony Lynn, just because I don't know if, like I said, I ever expected, you know, DeAndre Swift to, to have a, you know, Zeke-like or CMC-like snap share. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, and I agree. Like, if, if someone is if someone is really getting nervous about Swift, I definitely would go make an offer and try to acquire him. But it's just, again, like I said, the offense, he could get the high value touches. Like he should catch the passes. But I mean, even in that quote with Anthony Lynn said that he he thinks that Jamal Williams is a back that could maybe not come off the field and play all three roles. And we don't know how much we buy that. But if DeAndre Swift really is used, like do you think there's a chance he's used in like a five to eight carry, five to eight catch type role? Or you think he'll get Mm -mm. 10 to 15 carries? No, I think he'll get 10 to 15. And I think, you know, whatever he lacks in the run game, he'll make up in the passing game. They just drafted him with a top 50 pick as well. He was one of the first two picks in the second round last year, if I'm not mistaken. They're going to, I mean, they're going to use him. Um, Anthony Lynn, he's, he's, he's um, a very run heavy uh, offensive, offensive coach. So they're going to use the backs. I, I think, I think for me, it, Definitely caps DeAndre Swift's upside, I would think, just because, I mean, you have to take that into account when you're projecting out his stat line for the 2021 season. But I, I don't think he'll be a 5'8 carry guy. I just, they invested too much in the player to use him that way. So I'm still super, super high on him. Um, I'm somebody who thought he had, you know, top five RB upside in redraft this year. I don't know if I think that anymore, but in Dynasty, I'm absolutely like knocking on doors trying to figure out if people are lower on their evaluation of him based on, you know, what's coming out of camp. Anyway, let's wrap this up and get into some Twitter topics of the day because we do have a main segment to get to. First one here, a quote from Twitter. Justin Jefferson is the only player who resembles how we view Patrick Mahomes. Undisputed wide receiver one. Buck, what do you say to that? I'll t- I'll tell you what I say to that. Okay, you go. Stop the cap. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not the undisputed wide receiver one because, first of all, there's about four people you could have at Dynasty wide receiver one. For me, it's Tyreek Hill. I've had my stance on that. If you follow me on Twitter, I'm always tweeting Tyreek Hill wide receiver one. That's not going to change, not anytime soon. But he, Justin Jefferson. I understand the case. If you want to make a case that he's wide receiver one, sure, you can make that a case you could project. For me, uh, I have Justin Jefferson as wide receiver six in Dynasty, which is like super low if you ask Twitter. But you could project him as wide receiver one, but undisputed, like 
Patrick Mahomes is undisputed QB one. You could have four different people at wide receiver one. So I disagree with that statement. I definitely agree with the statement. And I also agree with what you said about, you know, not faulting anyone for having him as dynasty wide receiver one, because I mean, what the hell? I think it's pretty close between a lot of those guys at the top. You mentioned Tyreek Hill. I see, I've seen cases made for Diggs, uh, obviously DK Metcalf, AJ Brown. AJ Brown is my personal dynasty wide receiver one, but I, I think you're kind of splitting hairs when you get to these guys. So that makes, you know, that gives this statement even more fault in my opinion, you know, <laughs> undisputed wide receiver one. I mean, you, you mentioned that Patrick Mahomes is the clear consensus dynasty 101. You don't see him go past the 101 in startups unless somebody's getting real freaky in the draft. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting uh, statement via Twitter, and we definitely disagree with that take. Uh, next was a trade that we saw on Twitter that we'd like to discuss briefly. DJ Chark, a 2020 first-round pick, a second-round pick, and a third-round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. In a vacuum, which side of this trade do you like the most? I like the D hop side. I think he, obviously he's the, well, there's only one other player in the trade, but he's the best player in the trade. He's still a top 10 wide receiver for me in dynasty. And I just believe in Hopkins. I think he'll age well. I think he'll play well into his early thirties and even give you like, like uh, Larry Fitz was giving you a hundred and a thousand at 33, 34. I think Hopkins could do that. Cause he's not a speed guy. He's never relied on that. So I believe in him as an asset and a lot of people are selling and I would actually buy him. Cause I believe you have three more years of him and the, un- the picks are unknown. There's no, uh, they didn't specify like where they would, where they expect them to land. And Chark is a nice player and a player I like, but I mean, he's not going to be Hopkins. I mean, maybe his upside is a top 12 wide receiver, but that's about it. And that's like on a really good day. If you can get Chark, if he finishes top 12. Yeah, I mean, with everything that we're hearing about the Jaguars organization, this new coaching staff, <laughs> I don't, you know, I'm nervous to project anybody on that entire team in the top 12 outside of, you know, Trevor Lawrence. But I agree with you. In a vacuum, I'm taking the DeAndre Hopkins side. Obviously, it's dependent on team build and where that first round pick is projected to land. But I agree. I think DeAndre Hopkins has been heavily disrespected, especially this offseason. He's going to be 29 at the start of the season. So age Twitter is completely out on him. Those guys are selling him like crazy. But I'm in the camp of buying him as well. He has the type of game that ages very well. He's never been a hyper-athletic, crazy speed guy. That talent is going to diminish as he ages. I mean, obviously, uh, father time is undefeated. But DeAndre Hopkins has what I like to call an old man game. He's very savvy. He's one of the most intelligent wide receivers in the game in terms of how he plays. He has some of the best hands I've ever seen in NFL history. He understands how to get open with his size and with his you know athletic measurables. He uses those things to his advantage and in the current offense that he's in, you know, they took him off a lot of those downfield patterns, which you can make the case that, you know, that hurts his production, but he's turned into somewhat of a yak monster. You know, they're giving him a lot of these screen passes and these, you know, um, uh, three yard strike routes and in routes um, in this, in this um, Arizona Cardinals offense, giving him the ability to catch more passes and run after the catch. I think he's a pretty safe insulated asset at the wide receiver position. And I agree. He's going to be able to give us probably three more top eight wide receiver finishes. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think so too. He's actually my wide receiver eight in dynasty, which is probably a lot higher than most people, but I think so. I mean, he's locked and loaded top 12. I don't care who's throwing the ball. We've seen that he's top like wide receiver 12 is basically his floor. So I'm all in on Hopkins and I like buying him in dynasty for sure. Yeah, I agree. All right. Without further ado, let's get into the main segment of the podcast. We're going to talk about some rookie quarterback rankings. 
We're going to try to add a bit more color to the rankings because obviously everyone has their own rankings. This is probably the 87,000th fantasy football podcast out there and no one gives a fuck about individual rankings, but we will talk about the rankings, but I want to focus more on, you know, the prospect uh, or the player himself, the environment they're playing in and what we think about their year one prospects or production. So first and foremost, we'll dive right into, I don't think this is going to be a surprise to anyone. The number one quarterback in our rankings is Trevor Lawrence. Buck, why don't you start off with Law? Talk about him as a prospect, him as a player, how you project him, and where you're drafting him in rookie drafts. Well, yeah, uh, Trevor Lawrence, undisputed 101 in two quarterback and super flex leagues for me. He's in his own tier, uh, way above the other quarterbacks. You know, this is a guy that we've been touting, it seems like, forever. He's like the golden boy already since he was even in high school. He came in as a true freshman, won the national title with 30 touchdowns and four picks, only the second freshman to ever do it. And I'm pretty high on him. I mean, it seems like everybody is. But as far as like projecting him as a, as a rookie, I think he can go over 4,000 yards and maybe over 30 touchdowns. I know we talked about the offense and we're nervous about the offense, which uh, I think we should be. But they're going to be a bad team. Like this defense didn't do much to improve. They were very bad last year. So he's going to be throwing a ton. He maybe like, like Joe Burrow last year was throwing, he threw 400 times in 10 games. I think we could see something similar to that with Lawrence. And he's, like I said, he's the 101. And I, I took him in the first round of a startup. So for me, he's already quarterback seven in dynasty. And this is a guy that you should be looking for on your dynasty team to contribute your dynasty team for 10 plus years. And even if we do think Urban Meyer is ass, he'll outlast him in Jacksonville. So it doesn't worry about me too much, but I understand if you have a, if you're a little nervous about him in the first couple of years, how do you feel about him? Yeah, I, I think, I think that analysis is spot on. I, I think Trevor Lawrence is the safest bet at the one one I'm definitely drafting him there. Uh, I didn't, I didn't have any 101 picks this season, but if I did have the one one and wasn't able to trade back to two or three, um, I definitely um, have Trevor Lawrence there. He, he's the closest that we've gotten over the past, you know, decade or so to um, Andrew Luck in terms of what he is as a prospect. I mean, dating back to high school. I mean, we've been talking about Trevor Lawrence forever. You've alluded to that. I do worry about the offense. Um, I mean, we have to scrap pretty much everything that we saw from the Jaguars offense last year, but uh, their pass to run ratio was insane last year. They passed the ball almost 70% of the time, but that's because the team is bad. We don't expect that team to get much better this season. We don't expect that defense to be much better this season. So I agree with you. Uh, Trevor Lawrence has the opportunity to pass um, over 4,000 yards and 30, 30 touchdowns is a lot, but uh, over 17 games, maybe he does get there. And the organization invested heavily into him. Obviously he was the number one overall pick in the draft. And if Urban Meyer in camp suck, which we believe they do, he will outlast them. So I agree with that. Um, I think he's the safest bet, like I said, for uh, 101 here. Back to the the environment, uh, he's set up for success similarly to Trey Lance. Uh, he's surrounded by a bunch of weapons. He'll have the game script going into his favor. And I think he's a safe bet to crack the top 12 as a rookie QB this season. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think he definitely should uh, be in the top 12. It's just like, it's just a perfect storm. Bad defense, good weapons. That's what we like. I mean, the garbage time would be chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah, I was, try- I was trying to find it. Uh, yeah, they-, they passed the ball 616 times last year. Yeah, I-, I expect this offense to be like really pass heavy. Now, the thing about the coaching staff going back to the environment again, you know, Urban Meyer is someone who 
battles, like literally fights analytics people about the fact that, you know, you don't need a run game to open up the pass game. Urban Meyer is the opposite. He is a huge proponent of the run game opening up the pass. And Daryl Bevel, offensive coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars, if you go back to his history as an offensive coordinator, he has a very, very run-heavy approach. Even though he's coached some very talented QBs, he's had the opportunity to coach Brett Favre, Matthew Stafford, uh, and a couple other uh, really good quarterbacks, Russell Wilson. And you could say that his offensive approach was uh, tailored by the head coach. In in other words, he was forced to employ that type of strategy just based on who his head coaches were. The first one that pops into mind is, is Pete Carroll, and we obviously know how Pete Carroll feels about his running game. But, I mean, same thing with Urban Meyer. He's a head coach that believes in the run game. So I'm, I'm tempering ex- expectations for uh, Trevor Lawrence in terms of just how high that passing volume is going to be because he has a coaching staff that would like to establish the run. So when you throw out guys like Joe Burrow, I'm not really sure because the head coach for the Cincinnati Bengals, what's that trash guy's name? Jesus Christ. What's his name? Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor. He is the he doesn't give a damn about running the ball until their season was chalked. And he's like, all right, I'll just give Mixon 30 carries a game. But I don't know if we're, we're going to see Joe Burrow heights from Trevor Lawrence, but I would like to. And I think he can come somewhere close to that just based on how bad I think the team is. I don't have the Vegas implied win total here, but I'm sure it's really, really low. So, yeah, Trevor Lawrence, 101, book it. Let's get into QB2. Our QB2 is a consensus as well. We both agree that the second best quarterback in this year's draft class is former Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields. Now, I want to spend a few minutes talking about Fields, Buck, because I've seen a lot of people sour on him for so many stupid reasons, in my humble opinion. Uh, Talking about him falling in the draft from one, he fell to the 11th overall fucking pick. I mean, how, how is that falling in the draft? We just saw Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson a few years ago go after Mitchell Trubisky. Who cares about draft capital? We're evaluating the talent of the player. And I believe that Justin Fields is 1B to Trevor Lawrence is 1A. And you didn't say this. We, we, we set this on the original take of this podcast that you had Trevor Lawrence in a tier of his own. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to, to touch on that. And you can do that after I wrap up my Justin Fields soapbox segment. But I actually have Justin Fields and T-Law in the same tier. If anybody was willing to give me anything of consequence in terms of draft capital to move back out of the number one spot to the number two or to the number three spot, if I knew that the other dynasty manager was going to take Trey Lance at two, I would absolutely smash that deal to get Justin Fields at the 103 because I'm comfortable with him as my top QB uh, in the rookie draft. So him falling in the draft, falling, I'm using air quotes here, it doesn't bother me at all. And his landing spot, doesn't bother me at all. People talk about the Bears landing spot and how inept that offense has been over the past few years. I'll tell you about this offense that Matt Nagy runs in Chicago. First of all, the offense is a good offense. The offense is fine. It's a West Coast variant offense. It is the same offense that has won two out of the last three Super Bowls. The offense is fine. The offensive mind behind the offense could probably use a bit of work. So I don't believe Matt Nagy is a great offensive coach. But I do believe he runs a good offense. Matt Nagy's biggest flaw, in my opinion, is that he doesn't tailor his offenses to his quarterback skill set. So the only thing that would make me a bit nervous about Fields Buck is his rushing upside. The West Coast variant in the passing offense, I think Justin Fields is absolutely going to smash. But Mitchell Trubisky was also a really good athlete at the QB position. And outside of his year two, he didn't run the ball very much, at least on design runs. 
I would love to see Matt Nagy go in his bag and pull out a bunch of read option um, formations and schemes for Justin Fields going into his rookie season and allowing him to use his legs at a high level. I mentioned this on the first take of the pod as well, Buck. I talked about what I thought about Justin Fields' upside. You know, I think we could be looking at uh, Jalen Hurts with an arm. Like, imagine how people would be salivating over Jalen Hurts if he was a prolific passer. Justin Fields is a prolific pass-first passer who has similar rushing upside to a Jalen Hurts. So I think the offense is good. People don't probably realize this, but Mitchell Trubisky in years two and three, he led the league in deep ball percentage throughout stretches of seasons. He passed the ball deep past 20, 30 yards, I believe, over 18% of the time as a sophomore in Matt Nagy's offense. Justin Fields' biggest competency as a passer is his deep ball. So I think Matt Nagy is super excited to get his hands on Justin Fields and run his offense to the level that he's envisioned over the past several years. He just hasn't had the QB to do it. Also keep in mind, Buck, Mitchell Trubisky was Ryan Pace's guy. That wasn't Matt Nagy's guy. This is his guy, Justin Fields, and I think he's going to be able to run that offense at a very, very high level. One other thing I wanted to touch on before I hand it over to you and talk about Justin Fields. That offense, that Matt Nagy offense, and what I think is his biggest flaw as an offensive mind and him not being able to reasonably scheme around the efficiencies or deficiencies of his quarterbacks. He puts a lot on the shoulders of his quarterback. His offense is very much QB dependent. He is anemic when it comes to scheme. That's the only thing that bugs me. Opposite spectrum of, of that call would be what Kyle Shanahan does with his West Coast variant, his offense. It is very scheme dependent. It isn't really QB dependent. We've seen Jimmy Garoppolo be competent. We've seen uh, Nick Mullins be competent in that offense. We haven't seen a bad quarterback be good in a Matt Nagy offense. You understand what I'm saying, Buck? Yep. So that's my only reservation about Justin Fields. It is, you know, whether or not Matt Nagy is going to open his eyes a bit and understand that you have to tailor your offense around your players. It's something that, you know, Bill Belichick has done for so long at such a high level. But in terms of Justin Fields' aptitude and his ability to run this offense at a high level, I think we are going to see an excellent offense uh, from Matt Nagy. The the Bears were uh, top eight in the league in pass attempts last year as well. The defense got a little worse. I expect this offense to be pretty pass happy as well. They had a 62 to 38 pass run ratio. So I think we have um, a similar comparison to what we can expect from Justin Fields to Trevor Lawrence as well just a bit more on the rushing side. I'll let you take it away with Justin Fields. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. Um, hashtag don't fade Fields. <laughs> this is my this is my 102. He's my quarterback too. And you mentioned that I have uh, Lawrence a tier uh, in his own tier. I also have Fields in his own tier as well. So they're both, to me, like they're in their own tier. And then we uh, obviously go down and we'll talk about Lance later. But Fields for me, like he's everything you said. I mean, he has a rocket arm. He has rushing upside, and he's a guy that I believe has the quarterback one fantasy upside. He could be the overall quarterback one, a guy who could throw for over 4,000 yards, rush for maybe 800 yards. And I don't worry about the rushing because, like you said, I think he'll realize that, like, this isn't Mr. Trubisky. Mm-hmm. Mr. Trubisky's ass. He's going to realize that he has fields and fields to do it. And I also expect him to just scramble a lot more than Mr. Trubisky has, too. So, yeah, I'm all in on fields. And – I see him going like I see him going way past the 102 in rookie drafts and Superflex rookie drafts. I've got him at the 105 in a draft. Another draft he went at the 106. You just, that's to me that's malpractice. Shouldn't be doing that. 
if you want to take him, if people have Lance over him, for me, like uh, he's a much better prospect. But I won't argue that there. But once you get to some of the position players, that's just where I disagree. But yeah, I mean, we're all in on Fields over here. All right, I'll let you take it away with the number three quarterback on our board. That's all also a consensus. Let's talk about Trey Lance. Yeah, so Trey Lance obviously landed in the probably the best spot. He landed in San Francisco. They traded up to get him. They gave up a bunch of draft capital over the next two years to come up and get him. And he's a guy who went to a small school. And he worries me, man, because he did throw 28 touchdowns and no picks in his one year as a starter at North Dakota State. But he only has 318 career pass attempts. I, I'm a guy that usually fades one-year starters. But for him, he would have been a two-year starter. He played the showcase game, but they canceled their season because of COVID, and he only got to play one game. But for me, watching his tape, and I did do a, a lot of tape study on him. I'm not a professional scout, but I do do a lot of uh, study on most of these quarterbacks. And it, a lot of his stuff was just dink and dunk or a lot of swings to the running backs, a lot of short stuff, didn't really push the ball. And he relied on his legs a lot. Now, he's in a scheme that is basically bulletproof with Kyle Shanahan, with Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. Like, those guys, like, you don't really have to throw it downfield to them. You could throw it five yards and they can break off 80-yard touchdown because they're just yak monsters. So, as far as that, like, I don't have an issue with him as a quarterback one or as my 103. But I do think if he was on a different team, like, I think there's definitely bust potential there. But San Francisco lowers that to me. But yeah, so I'm just a little worried about a little worried about Lance. And when it comes to him and Fields, I think Fields is a much better player. Like the, my favorite thing about Lance is his landing spot. Fields just, uh, checks all the boxes for me. I don't think Lance is better than him in any aspect of the game, to be honest. I know I, you feel the same way, but how do you feel about Lance as a whole? Yeah, I'll just echo everything you said. I, I, I feel you know very similarly. I, I think the landing spot in San Francisco is bulletproof. I don't think he has a chance to bust in that offense. I think he's going to be a great asset in fantasy, um, particularly in dynasty over the next four years plus one. I mean, just the brilliant scheme. I mean, Kyle Shanahan, we can say what we want about him being a head coach, but as an offensive mind, you can't really go down a list without having, you can't really get to three in the NFL without mentioning his name in terms of um, offensive minds. So, I think Trey Lance in the San Francisco landing spot is super safe. I agree with what you said about not really arguing with anybody who wants to take them as their QB1. Uh, those are probably the landing spot over talent people, right? But uh, if we're looking at talent in the vacuum, uh, he's the clear-cut QB3. I think he is in a tier outside of law and fields for me. Uh, but like I said, I don't fault anybody for taking him at, at one or two. Um, I talked about this offline with you. Um, you know, the talent versus landing spot offensive environment changes a lot faster than talent and what i mean by that is we can expect that offensive environment to change for whatever reason before we can expect trey lance to take some sort of josh allen like leap from a talent perspective in the passing game so i agree with you what you said at the top of your analysis on this pick that out of the top three qbs and we see a lot and i mean a probably majority now of Trey Lance going above Justin Fields. And for me, that makes me a little nervous. If both of those guys are on the board, it's a very easy call for me uh, because I do value talent above landing spot. But Trey Lance is, though he's insulated uh, by his landing spot, 
if you're looking at dynasty commodities and comparing these guys apples to apples, just based on what I said earlier about the Justin Fields landing spot and how I feel about that, I don't really think it's up for debate, like which one of these guys come first. So again, love the prospect, love the player. I think he does have some ball placement issues. People always confuse accuracy and ball placement. They would look at his one year of uh, North Dakota State, uh, his full year starting and say, what are you talking about? Like Trey Lance is super accurate. He completed almost 70% of his passes, but you alluded to it earlier on. A lot of those were dump off swing passes, uh, scheme plays in that pro style offense in North Dakota State. And we haven't really seen Trey Lance be, you know, a drop back passer. Obviously, the counterpoint to that is, well, he doesn't have to. He's playing with Kyle Shanahan. He's going to scheme everything up for him. But that just ties back into my original point. That offensive environment will change eventually. You know, um, as much as we'd like to think that, you know, all of those weapons are going to be in play and Trey Lance is always going to be tied to Kyle Shanahan. That's just not the case. We can't project that. So I'm always going to take talent first. Is there anything else you would like to add to Trey Lance before we get to the rest of these QBs? Yeah, the only thing I want to add is, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is still there. They haven't traded him yet. He's basically an untradeable player at this point with his, with his contract. But week eight, Fields and Lance, they match up against each other. Are they both the starters of their teams? I believe so. I think so, too. I think there is a slight chance that Trey Lance is still riding the bench just because we think he's a raw prospect, a developmental prospect. And if San Francisco starts the season, you know, six and one, there, there's no reason to start Trey Lance. You know what I mean? But but I, I think, you know, just based on what we've seen from Jimmy Garoppolo, um, I won't I won't mention his injury history because I don't want to jinx the guy. Uh, and I, I hope he does well with whatever he does. It's not going to be playing football for, for much longer uh, for the San Francisco 49ers. But I do think there's a smaller um, chance. I, I think there's a smaller chance that Justin Fields is still on the bench in favor of um, um, Andy Dalton than there is for Trey Lance to be on the bench in favor of Jimmy Garoppolo. So let's move on to my QB4, and then I will hand it over to you to talk about your QB4 because we actually differ here. My QB4 is Mac Jones. I feel like I would probably take Mac Jones in the middle-late first round. I think he is a safer prospect than the guy that you were going to talk about at your QB4 spot. Uh, talk about him as a prospect. He is a one-year breakout player at Alabama as well, but he executed that offense at a very high level. You spoke to me about this offline, saying that you believe he ran that offense at a higher level than even Tua did, who was a top-five pick. I agree. He had you know, arguably uh, less talented weapons and performed at a higher level than Tua. I still think Tua is a better quarterback and was a better prospect, but I think Mac Jones and his aptitude to play the QB position is nothing to poo-poo. I think he's actually going to be a solid, safe, high-floor option. Obviously, he doesn't offer you anything by way of rushing floor, but I think he's the fastest processor of this class. I think I trust Bill Belichick's, not his ability to evaluate talent because they miss on a lot of fucking draft picks in New England, but I do believe in Bill Belichick's ability to build an offense around his talent. He's done that year over year in the New England Patriots organization. I think they're going to build an offense around Mac Jones. It's a really good offense for Mac Jones and his skill set as a QB. They run that Earnhardt Perkins scheme. It's the death by a thousand cuts offense, all that quick to intermediate stuff. I think Mac Jones is going to be able to execute that offense very well. And he got the draft capital as well, top 15 pick. So I'll let you talk about your QB four, and we can maybe go back and forth a bit on these guys and then speed round through the last five that we have on the list. And my quarterback four is 
Zach Wilson, you know, I don't feel great about it. I think out of all the quarterbacks we talked about so far that he has the biggest chance to bust. He's basically a one-year wonder. He only had 23 touchdowns to 12 picks in his first two seasons. And then he really broke out last year with 33 touchdowns, three picks, and completed 74% of his passes. Obviously, the NFL and the Jets, they got enamored with his highlight plays. We see him throw uh, off-platform and stuff. But if you watch the tape, there's a lot of bad there. Like, he's throwing it into the linebackers' bellies a lot. And that's something that worries me. And when he's played competition – He's been pretty terrible against competition, 0-5 with one touchdown, seven picks, and only completing 61% of his passes. But the reason I have him as my quarterback for over Mac Jones, it really just comes down to upside because I think he'll give you some stuff on the ground. And I think he'll be a good fantasy quarterback. Mac Jones, to me, just doesn't – I think he'll be a better real-life quarterback, like you said. Like, I think Mac Jones has elite traits, and I think he could be a solid player. But he just seems like a guy that would be undervalued in fantasy – a lot anyway, like a Kirk Cousins, like you could buy those guys for cheaper than they should. But Zach Wilson just has upside that I like. He, I think he'll add like seven, eight touchdowns on the ground, maybe a couple hundred yards. And I like his offense. I trust Sala. And uh, they added Elijah Moore, someone that we're both really high on. Corey Davis, he has good weapons. But it, yeah, like I said, just comes down to upside for me. As a passer, I think he has more upside than Mac Jones and obviously as a rusher. And even if he's a bad quarterback, which – I mean, I'm not going to fault you if you say you think he will be. He can still give you good fantasy seasons. Like, I've won championships with Blake Bortles. And that's kind of how I – that's kind of like my comparison is Bortles, uh, Trubisky, even if it's a couple of years, like those guys were good fantasy players. As ugly as it was, and you didn't want to watch the game, but they would end up with 20 fantasy points. I think Zach Wilson could be that type of guy. And if he gives me two or three years as a top, even if he's a QB1 for a couple of years and then he's just – if he's a colossal bust, he won't see his fifth-year option, but I kind of – it would take a lot for that to happen. So I'll just take him at – he's pretty cheap in rookie drafts. He's like 108, 109. I'm comfortable taking him there, taking a shot. And if I have something, and I uh, then I'll be happy with it. But if not, he's a guy that I think you could trade because in a super flex, quarterbacks always have value. And there's probably one Zach Wilson truther in every league. So I'm okay taking him at his value. And I think he's a little even undervalued. I mean, he's the number two pick. I think he's a little undervalued in super flex drafts. Yeah, I, I think Zach Wilson has the highest bust probability of any of the top five. Um, there's a lot to unpack based on what you just said. And, and I won't get into all of it because we still have uh, five guys to run through really quickly. But yeah, um, I think Mac Jones, going back to my QB4, he's, like I said, uh, at the top of the, the, the breakdown. He just has more stability, um, in my opinion. I think he could have a Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan-type trajectory. And Zach Wilson, I, I think he could be so bad that he's out of the league in three years. Um, he did put a lot of bad on tape. And I'm a non-talented, non-paid uh, player scout myself. So I don't claim to be uh, some QB genius when it comes to watching film, but... There are a lot of people that I trust to evaluate film that have raised a lot of red flags about Zach Wilson, particularly the overcorrection from NFL GMs around the NFL. You know, everybody's kicking themselves for missing out on Patrick Mahomes. So now that we add this kid who can make all these wow off-platform throws, we're like, oh, this guy has Patrick Mahomes-like traits. But we forget to evaluate what they can actually do from a process's perspective playing the QB position and what their aptitude is at the QB position. So Zach Wilson scares me the most. I'd still take him at the back end of the first round. I actually got him in a pre-NFL draft, rookie draft, at the 202, so I'm ecstatic to get him there. Obviously, in a super flex league, QBs carry a ton of value year over year. 
Uh, but I'm too nervous about his ability to play the position to take him over a guy like Mac Jones, who I do think is more intelligent, a faster processor, takes care of the ball better. And even though Mac Jones doesn't offer you any type of rushing floor, I think we probably disagree on what the rushing upside is for Zach Wilson, you and I. But we can save that for another episode real quick. Rapid fire through these last five guys on the list. Buck, I'll hand this guy over to you. Less than 30 seconds, what do you think about Kellen Mond? Go. I think he has elite fantasy upside when given the chance, and I think that chance could come pretty soon. We see Justin Jefferson basically saying Kirk Cousins has no swag and he shouldn't be their quarterback (laughs) anymore. So I think there's a chance that Kellen Mond is playing meaningful snaps like a lot sooner than we think. And I think Kirk Cousins' contract ends after this year. So he could be the guy. He's a guy that's a bad passer, though. He was a very bad passer at Texas A&M, 59% for his uh, career. But he runs. We like that. And he's in the third round of rookie drafts right now. And he's one of my favorite values in the entire uh, Superflex rookie drafts. All right. I will take Davis Mills. This guy is our QB. Well, technically, he's our, he's our QB6. Um yeah, hold on. Seven. Seven. Jesus, I can't fucking count. Uh, Davis Mills is our QB seven. Won't spend a lot of time on this kid. He was the very first pick from the Houston Texans organization. Then they signed Jeff Driscoll uh, after they signed Tyra Taylor <laughs> earlier in the season. They still have Deshaun Watson on the roster. I don't really know what to feel about Davis Mills um, in terms of how to project him out for the Houston Texans. We did see a news blurb a couple days ago that he should see some playing time this season. So, hey, maybe he performs at a really high level. Uh, the only caveat to rushing to draft Davis Mills in the third round or early third round or even late second round I've seen in some drafts is – the Houston Texans project to win three games or less next season. They will be picking in the top three. So even if Davis Mills shows some Gardner Minshew type performance over his rookie season, if he doesn't play QB at an exceptionally high level, they are going to be drafting a quarterback next season. So I would temper my expectations for Davis Mills as a dynasty commodity just because next year's 2022 QB class is pretty good. So... We can spend some more time on these guys later. Let me hand it over to you to talk about Kyle Trask here at our QB8. Yeah, Kyle Trask, uh, he's a statue quarterback. Went to Tampa Bay, which is a good spot for him. He's going to sit for a while. Like We don't know how long Tom Brady – there's been blurbs out that Tom Brady wants to play till he's 50. So who knows at this point. But I'd say two more years and Kyle Trask could play – Supposedly, I mean, we hear this every year, but people in the Tampa Bay Bucks uh, front office, super high on him. They wanted to take him at 32, ended up getting him, uh, I think, late second round. So I like him uh, in the third round of rookie drafts, not really the second. But if you can grab him, you have to put him on your taxi squad for a few years. But he's a guy that could pay off in the long run. So he's probably a guy that maybe you don't even draft in the rookie draft and you trade for him because I think people will be impatient with him. You can get him pretty cheap. I agree. Real quick, Buck, you take Sam here. Slinging Sam Ellinger. (laughs) Uh, He's a guy that uh, went to Indianapolis, and he's not someone that is going to play right away. Obviously, they have Carson Wentz, who's been injury-prone in his career. And he's just – we don't know what Carson Wentz we get. He was the worst quarterback in all football last year. So I like taking a shot on Ellinger. You don't have to draft him. 
I've been, I've done like seven rookie drafts or six rookie drafts, and he's been an, a UDFA in all of them. So I don't mind throwing some fab onto him, throwing him in your uh, on your taxi squad because he's a guy that at Texas, you know, he has 1,900 career rushing yards, so he could run a little bit. He could be a spot fantasy starter. We talked about Jeff Driscoll, but I think he's kind of similar to him. Where when Jeff Driscoll got a start, like he was a decent fantasy player, especially in a superflex league, and Ellinger could be the top backup there, so I don't mind taking a shot on him. Yeah, I agree. I don't think Sam Ellinger has sustainable long-term talent, but I agree that he does have a path to play just based on the situation that he's in. I'll take the last guy really quick because we only have about a minute and a half before we can wrap up, before we have to wrap up this episode. Let's talk about New Orleans Saints quarterback Ian Book. <laughs> Bro, no, no bullshit. I didn't even mean to press that drop. The only thing I was going to say about it, it's fitting. It's fitting. The only thing I was going to say about former Notre Dame quarterback Ian Book is that he did get some semblance of draft capital he was taken in the fourth round which was pretty interesting but i'm gonna tell you like this buck i don't give a fuck (laughs) ian book is not an nfl quarterback he is not an nfl starter i'm all for you know throwing fab on him similarly to sam Elliott. if i'm looking at both of those guys on the waiver wire i'm gonna put my bid in on sam first but if Ian Book is just sitting there, I mean, I guess they have one of the most muddy QB situations in the NFL. I mean, it's Sean Payton, maybe. But this is a player I'm not super excited about. It's obviously QB 10 in our rankings. Who the fuck cares? But that's the show. Buck. We did it, bro. We did it. We did it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We out. Peace.